You are looking live at chicken dinner. I bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. I think I'll take two chickens. Go on riverboat gambling trips. You're gonna die for some chickens. Hey, what's your chicken dinner? Someone is. It was feathers yesterday, there was no chicken. What you got riding on this game? My daughter. What a gambler. It's chicken dinner. Hey, Babalugas, we got a bet here. Here's your host, Sam Panianovich. It's called Winner Winner Chicken Dinner right there, boys. <laughs> Let's get this thing going. Winner Winner Chicken Dinner. How about that? Uh, away we go. Chicken Dinner Wednesday, June 22nd, 2022. Follow on Twitter at ChickenXDinner. DM's always open for you and subscribe so you get this mother clucker once it goes live. We will be joined by Mike Helfcott, the coach, Chicken Dinner's NBA draft guru, Ben Matherin's rise, Mark Williams' fall, Shaden Sharp's workouts, and the importance of trusting the right information. Great interview with Mike. We spoke on Monday. Some of the prices are a little dated, but all the conversations still stand. And this is, of course, while you follow Chicken Dinner on Twitter during draft season to get all of Mike's bets when they pop. He's the king. He says jump. I say how high. At the time of taping, Mike had given us, and I had tweeted, Mark Williams over 12.5 minus 130. That market now 14.5 at some shops. Shaden Sharp over 7.5 minus a quarter. That's about minus 160 to go over. Ben Matherin, fifth overall, 10-1. to 1. I see DraftKings 2-1 to 1 on Matherin. So beat the market on all three. We've since added... Jeng under 13 and a half, minus 135, and Jabari Smith to go number one. That cratered today at minus 140. We also have Paolo Bancaro, three to one, to go first from the final four. Transparency, am I right? Either way, I am pumped for Thursday night's draft. Taping this late on a Tuesday after watching ESPN's NBA mock draft special, They went through the entire first round and basically put together a mock draft. I think it's mostly Jonathan Giovanni with some help from Woj. And here's the lottery. One Smith, two Holmgren, three Paolo, four Ivy, five Matherin, let's go, six Murray, seven Sharp, eight Daniels, nine Duran, ten Davis, eleven Griffin, twelve Jeng, 13 Sochan, 14 Abaji. And, of course, all kinds of chaos surrounding the number one overall pick, although I don't really think all the smoke is real. On Sunday night, I recall seeing the following odds. Smith minus 200 at most shops, Holmgren plus 175, Bancaro 20 to 1 offshore. Monday night at FanDuel, a day later, Smith minus 160. Holmgren plus 190. Bancaro plus 275. Talk about a great hole for the house, huh? Those odds suck. Minus 160, plus 190, plus 275. Okay, that's not fair for the consumer. Current check of the number one overall pick market. This is from the Superbook in Vegas. Smith minus 230. Hello. Bancaro plus 245. Holmgren plus 415. And I wrote about the peaks and valleys of the NBA draft betting markets for Fox. It's way different from wagering on a point spread, total, or player prop on a random Tuesday in January. Because as you know, those markets are mostly predicated on power ratings and algorithms 
And the sports books have a fighting chance because usually you're laying minus 110, sometimes higher, in a fair fight between you and the book. Draft markets, though, are beatable. It's all about the information and the narrative. And the coaches talked about this for years. And we'll talk to Mike, of course, later on in the show. But there's no algorithm and no advantage for the sports books. The bad numbers get pounded. And some of the markets never stop running. I mean, this Mark Williams prop, for example, I believe when the draft markets first started popping, Mark Williams was nine and a half. Mike still liked them over 12 and a half. Now he's 14 and a half. How about when Mike gave us Chris Duarte in the NBA draft last year? 21 and a half under. Close 14 and a half. Because the books don't really know how to catch up. And it's unlike a basketball game. Say the spread in a game is six. Wise guys take six, five and a half, five, gets down to four and a half. There's going to be some group somewhere that's going to go, ooh, we like minus four and a half. So the wise guys help balance the books. But there's no opposition usually in these draft markets. It's mostly one-way sharp action. And that's why it's almost impossible for pros to get down. You're seeing fewer and fewer markets. I mean, Foxbet, for example, has four markets up right now on the draft. Picks one, two, three, and four. Bet Rivers took down more than half of their markets the other day. DraftKings has a bigger Rolodex. Same with PointsBet. FanDuel's is very small. WinBet doesn't have anything up. These books are learning their lesson. They lose on drafts. Because if you, the better, can figure out the reliable sources that cover the draft and trust the right information, you can make money. But those professional bettors can't get down shit. They try and bet a nickel, they get 50 bucks. They try and bet 250, they get 25. It's embarrassing. All that said, the number one market has been just a merry-go-round of information, rumors, smoke. After the tournament, Jabari Smith is favored to go number one. And then he got extremely expensive in early June, around minus 500 or higher. FanDuel had minus 600 in early June that the Auburn power forward was going number one overall. However, there's been a recent avalanche of money on Paolo and Chet due to rumors that the Magic front office hasn't decided yet on which player to draft. And I don't really believe that. There's a lot of stuff that's going to come out in the next couple of days. But just watching this show with Javoni and Woj, they're like, yeah, the Magic are going to take Jabari Smith. So, I, look, you have to sort of take everything with a grain of salt at this point. If you're Orlando, why are you going to trade out a number one? It doesn't make any sense. You got Jalen Suggs, a great guard. Find him a big and build for the future. How often do you get to pick number one? You're going to trade it? I have a feeling they know exactly what they want to do. Bancaro, though, was 20 to 1, 18 to 1 on Sunday. And now you see 2 to 1 right around that price. So I was very happy today, Tuesday afternoon, to send out Smith minus 140, the lowest that number has been in three weeks. And it's been built back up. I've already decided I love the Smith play to go number one. 
I don't want to lay $2, 225 250 but knowing that we've got Paulo 3-1, to one, I don't think that's going to happen. If that does, cool, we're up even more, but I'm happy with a wash. I like the Smith pick to cancel out Paulo, and I really do think Jabari Smith Jr. goes number one overall. After that, probably Chet, and then Paulo 3, and I'm hoping it's Ivy 4 so that Matherin can go number 5. That's the hope. If Benedict Matherin from Arizona goes number five, we're going to win no matter what. And our bets are as follows. Let me read them to you right now before we move on. Smith, number one, minus 140. Bancaro, number one, three to one. That's from April 2nd, by the way. Matherin, number five, 10 to one. Sharp over seven and a half, minus a quarter. Mark Williams over 12 and a half, minus 130. Jang under 13 and a half minus 135, and that's probably it. To hockey, Stanley Cup final, game number four upon us. Lightning, Avalanche in Tampa. Two quick stats for you. Alex Smith in the first period over, he's been banging this drum all series. Three for three the first period over, and of course the over itself is three for three. Four to three. Seven to nothing, six to two. Yet the total is still six for game four. Hmm. Come on in. Come on, bet the over. You know you want to. Simple. Eventually, one of these games is going under, right? Two to one, three to two. You would think. It's wild to me that the market trended down in game three. I thought it was fascinating, too. I'm thinking, well, they're going back to Tampa. Lightning get the last change. Vasilevsky's going to stand tall. If you would have told me that Colorado was only going to score two goals, I would have thought under was a decent bet. Three to two or two to one, depending on who won. I thought that was the play. And, of course, six to two. But you look at this market for game number four, the book's open, six under 15, and now the market, six under 20, six under 20, six under 20. More tickets on the over, but the market is sort of moving down still. I know some sharps that are getting buried on these totals under. I just can't believe the books are willing to put six up there and practically pray that one of these games stays under. There's a buddy in my, I told you, just bet the over every game. I'm like, oh, you fuck. That's how simple it is. Just bet the over. Just bet the over. I like Tampa to even this up and send it back to the mountains two to two. And then things get interesting. And if you bet Tampa to win the series, if you had the stones, many people didn't. I'm telling you, most bets, like 80% of the bets at most sports books were on Colorado in game number three after that seven, nothing beatdown. You could have bet Tampa to win the series before game three, five to one. And guess what that price is now? Plus 250. They have to. And if Tampa wins game four, then Colorado is what? Minus 160, minus 170. Pressure back on their shoulders. I still think it's Tampa and four, Colorado and five, Tampa and six. And then we go to game seven. I really believe that. So I do like Tampa's money line in game number four. And it looks like Colorado at this point, minus 115 consensus. 
So Colorado, a small road chalk. This team is 14-3 and three in the postseason. Scary to bet against them, but I do think Tampa found something the other night. And they played with more physicality, got pucks out of their blue line. I do think it goes back to Colorado 2-2. Two two. two more quick things before we get to the coach. I wrote this up on Nesson today, trying to squeeze in some football at the end of June. And these markets have been popping all over the place across the American sportsbook market. The exact finish market in the divisions. So the headline, Patriots odds, better chance pass finish first or last in AFC East. Interesting question. You have to pick one, right? Now the Pats have a regular season win total, eight and a half at pretty much every book. And that number tells you the books are getting good balanced action on the Pats finishing as a fringe playoff team. AFC is a lot better, and this total is a full win lower than last season's 9.5. New England went 10-7, and seven, made the playoffs, rookie quarterback, you know the deal. And it's obvious Belichick's team could overachieve, win 11 games, but there's also the flip side of that equation. What if they win 6 or 7? Win totals aren't really about predicting the final record. They're about drawing two-way bets. Every year, there are several NFL teams that go over or under the totals by multiple games. So the question is, would you rather bet New England to finish first or last in the division? And DraftKings has the following odds for the AFC East finishing position. Third is favored, plus 160. Second, plus 190. Fourth plus 450, first 11 to 2 plus 550. So 100 wins, 550. First place finish has the longest odds, and I guess that makes sense. Jones has a lot to prove in year two, and he's going to have to elevate a bunch of average wide receivers Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers. And it's still sounding like defensive wizard Matt Patricia is the front runner to call offensive plays despite never having experience working with quarterbacks that's a disaster waiting to happen but when you think about the division I'm so bullish on Buffalo winning 12 or 13 games and winning division title number three in a row I'd be stunned if they weren't the cream of the crop in the AFC East with one of the best players in football leading the charge and I'm telling you I've said this a couple times now. I'm not going to go too deep in the weeds again because I've already talked about this. But that Patriots schedule from week 12 on, holy shit. Week 12 at Minnesota, Thanksgiving night against a rebuilt Vikings offense. Kevin O'Connell, the new head coach from the McVay tree, they're going to utilize all those weapons. Thielen, Jefferson, Dalvin Cook. They've got some players, man. Right schematics, that offense will be a lot better. This isn't the Mike Zimmer Vikings. So after that week 12 showdown with Minnesota on Turkey Day, things only get tougher. After that, home against Buffalo, probably a loss. At Arizona, at Vegas, then Cincinnati and Miami roll into Foxborough before the season finishes in Buffalo. There's a chance there. Two and five. On the positive side, three and four, I mean, they can beat Arizona on the road. 
they can beat Cincinnati at home, I think. Well, I don't know. All those receivers and Joe Burrow picking apart the Patriots secondary, eh, maybe not. Miami, maybe Miami's not as good. Maybe Buffalo's resting the starters. A lot of ifs and maybes, huh? But I don't think the Patriots are winning the division title. So if I had to pick one of the two, I'd probably go fourth at plus 450. Not a fan of Tua, not a fan of Zach Wilson, but it almost feels like, and I hate to say this out loud, it almost feels like New England has a lower floor than a higher ceiling. It's a big deal that either Matt Patricia or Joe Judge is going to be in charge of a second-year quarterback when the league has a full year of film on this kid. It's not to say that Matt can't be great in year three and beyond, but year two is usually the tough year because everybody knows what you do well and what you don't do well. And I'm worried about the play calling. I'm worried about Belichick getting senile. There's a lot that's working against New England this year. Can they finish 9-8 and eight second place? Absolutely. But that wasn't the question. Would you rather bet them first or bet them fourth? And for me, it's fourth. Last thing. Denise Richards. Remember her? Oh! Promoting the DraftKings Casino now. Yeah, I saw this on Twitter today. At DK Casino. Quote, play all your favorite casino games on hashtag DK Casino. New customers deposit $5 and get $50 in free spins, exclamation point. Free spins in all caps, by the way. Then there's a video of Denise Richards in a sexy outfit telling you why you should sign up and play at the DraftKings Casino. Uh Uh-huh. Nothing to see here. (laughs) The casino. Oh, my God. I remember running envelopes back in the day. We always had... The players on Sunday, you know, because you had the meat limits. And back in those days, it was like a nickel up or down. If you were up over 500, you got paid. If you were down 500 or more, you paid. And we'd always have, we'd always have the players. I don't mean to laugh, but it's like this is how sick the people are that play in these casinos are, especially with a credit-based casino. Like the DK casino, you actually have to put money in, which I would never tell you to do because those games, are they're rigged. You can't even see the dealer. You can't see the cards. Now let's go play online roulette. Are you nuts? You'd have the players that would be down like 550 or 600, and it'd be Sunday night right after the Sunday night football game, and the bet didn't come through, so now you're below the limit. And you gotta pay five fifty, which you don't have. And then you're like, ah, oh, you know what? Here's a here's a brilliant idea. Let me go play online blackjack. <laughs> Big mistake. And then the kid's down five fifty going into the casino. He comes out down twelve hundred. And then you go see him on Tuesday, and he hands you a hundred or two hundred dollars. Like, yeah, I need some more time. It's like, oh, weren't you in the casino on Sunday night? Yeah. Don't play the online casinos. Do any of you actually win money in that? That is like selling crack to a crackhead. But hey, Denise Richards hanging out, telling you to come on down and join the DraftKings Casino. 
Free spins. <laughs> Rejoining us on Chicken Dinner, back by popular demand, the coach, Mike Helfgott at M. Helfgott. I'm not even kidding. I had multiple people reach out to me last week. Hey, when's coach coming back on? <laughs> Man of the people, they want your wisdom. But unfortunately, a lot of these books, they're not putting up a lot of stuff. The draft is on Thursday. We're days away, and there's like nothing at multiple books. Yeah, it's a little depressing, Coach. Uh, I mean, you know, points bet has still got a lot of markets. DraftKings, you know, you can kind of count on. FanDuel has some less than you'd think. You know, I'm talking about the Illinois books. I live in Chicago, and, you know, and Rivers has some options. But it is nothing like the NFL draft, that's for sure. And I know, I know pros, you know, are having a hard time getting down a lot of money. Oh, well, pros have been struggling. I know when you started diving into this market a couple years ago, the markets were a little bigger because these books weren't really too scared of posting bad numbers. But is that technically what it is? Do you think these shops are just like, forget it. Why even book this when we know we're not going to win? It seems like it. I mean, I think, you know, as you know, I kind of came about this during the pandemic when it started for something to do. I started diving the NFL draft and I realized, you know, how easy it is to beat the market on moves. You, you, you know, you, you follow this stuff closely enough, and we can get into that a little bit. You absolutely can anticipate market moves. Doesn't mean every bet's going to win, but if you beat the market on 10 bets, I bet you're going to win seven or eight of them. You've given us two draft position bets. Mark Williams over 12.5 minus 130. I see him now at DraftKings. I want to say, there it is, 13.5 minus 155. So that's a full position, 12.5 to 13.5 plus an extra minus 30, there's also a lot of minus 14 and a half. True line is probably 15. Charlotte's got 13 and 15. Um, they need they need a player who fits his profile to a T to get to get LaMelo a pick and roll partner, a lob threat, and a, and a defensive player. That's Charlotte needs that badly. They've got 13 and 15. Cleveland picks 14. They don't need a big man. They've got Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. So it's most – Williams probably goes 13 or 15. There's no real reason – for Charlotte to pick him 13 unless Cleveland trades somebody, you know. And then Shade and Sharp, you gave him seven and a half minus a quarter. It's up 30, 40 cents. Is that a player, though? Do you expect that rise to continue? I know you don't love minus 160, minus 165 now, but what is that position and what is that juice, do you think, on draft night? Uh, it is such a hard one. Um, he's a kid who wasn't the number one player all along through high school, became it with one really good EYBL season. I guess one session at Peach Jam. All of a sudden, this kid vaults to the number one player in the, in the class, doesn't play at all in Kentucky, barely practices. Teams have very little information about him. There's reports of group workouts, three and three against similar type wings. He didn't dominate the way they would have wanted him to. It is such a tough peg. I really don't see him going in the top six. Seven is Portland. It's a it's a it's a spot that a lot of people think they want to trade because they want to compete now because they have Lillard and a shitty roster besides him. <laughs> um, so he could go seven. You know, I think eight. And a, a lot of books have moved that up to eight and a half. I think eight and a half is the right number, but he could go seven. I, I that actually opened Sam at five and a half plus money when that opened on points, but I jumped on. I got five and a half plus one forty. So two whole positions up, but still, that's a player. If it doesn't go a certain way, he could go eight, nine, ten. I don't know, maybe not ten because somebody could always. No, he could. Teams have that little information on this guy, and they're kind of. There's a lot of reports that people are put off that he's he didn't he doesn't hasn't done a lot to show himself for teams. Well, you heard about his workouts, right? His workouts weren't great against those other wings. 
Exactly. He had yeah the one opportunity he did have to shine he didn't. You know Shams came out with a report today saying he did good look good in the workouts but I mean I like Shams I think he's a great reporter but sometimes you're doing work for agents and multiple other people who follow the draft that's all they do is follow the draft whereas Shams is you know year round doing other stuff too multiple media types said that the workouts were underwhelming I, I gotta believe that's true. Is it fair to say this draft is going to swing at number four? I think we have a pretty good idea, one, two, and three, and then who fucking knows what the Kings are going to do? Absolutely. And again, Sham's throwing some cold water on some stuff this morning. Woj, who's the, you know, the god of all reporting as far as I'm concerned. I'm a former sports writer. You know, Woj is a god. He said during the NBA countdown, like the pregame show or whatever, during the finals, that the Kings were working hard to trade that pick. A lot of people have also reported that. Shams threw some cold water on that this morning, saying that the Kings are warming up to the idea of keeping it. Ivy's not an obvious fit because of the Aaron Fox and Davian Mitchell. Although, I mean, the only reason that I think that they, they could screw it up is because it's the Kings and they screw up so much. I mean, they <laughs> had a chance for Luca and they took Bagley. <laughs> not exactly the greatest front office in Sacramento. Yeah, Ivy absolutely should go for. I would not. There's a lot of plus money if you if you go Murray or somebody else. I wouldn't do it. It's considered Ivy's considered in a tier above everybody else under four. I saw an interesting wager, and I sort of like this Matherin kid from Arizona to go fifth overall. I think that combination, just watching Cunningham and Matherin in my imagination, is very enticing because you have Cade who's a utility knife, can do it all, and Matherin is a scoring guard that can attack and shoot, also put the ball on the floor. I think that's a very interesting situation if they pair Matherin and Cunningham. But I'm looking at points bet. Benedict Matherin to be drafted in the top five is 4-1, to one, yet yep. Matherin to go fifth overall is 9-1. to one. Yeah, top five in that top, those top five in the top ten markets, just burn them. Don't even click on there. Take a close look and you look at the value. It's absurd. Those markets are awful. So you're not going to lay minus 4,000 on Sharp to go top 10? <laughs> so, yeah, those markets are silly. Mather and I, yeah, I've got them at 20 to 1. I wasn't able to give the group I can, the pros I consult it because they didn't have it available, but I got it at 20 to 1. And guess what? It's still 9.5 to 1 at FanDuel. It's plus 950 at FanDuel. Here's the thing. It's not just that it's a fit. Sam Vecini, the athletics draft guru, has him mock 5. Rafael Barlow, who runs this NBA big board, does a fantastic job. He's got Matherin at five. Matherin at five, there is a ton of reason to believe in. And I, I love these guys that report this stuff. I mean, the information is incredible. I mean, Rafael Barlow, you know, they don't cite their sources, but he said he, he knows that Detroit wants an athletic wing. So that's not Keegan Murray. Everybody is Keegan Murray is widely considered the number five player here. But if they want an athletic wing, that's not Keegan Murray. And Detroit, remember when our first uh, our first NBA draft together, Sam, was the Patrick Williams. Remember that? Oh, yeah. Didn't you say to take him under nine and a half or something? And the information was Detroit wants him at seven because he was considered like late lottery. And all of a sudden, Chad Ford, who Rafael Barlow is his Chad Ford was Rafael Barlow's predecessor, his mentor. Rafael Barlow took over. But the connections are the same, right? Chad Ford knew Detroit was taking Williams at seven. So that's why the Bulls took him at four. You know, the Bulls weren't going to let that happen at four. He ends up going four. This is the same organization. We're getting specific information out of them. I don't think it's a huge leap to say, okay, this is uh, an organization that leaks. This is an organization that talks. And it's not always bad to talk because it's horse trading, you know. 
you're getting something out of it or you wouldn't be doing it. I'm thinking about putting a little bit down on Matherin under six and a half plus money, too. Like, I'm already invested on him to go fifth overall. That's a bad bet. Why is that? He's not going one through four. But five or six, I mean, it's six and a half. Right. I don't know that he's that he, Indiana would take him six. I mean, maybe they would. There's a lot of trade rumors, too. I just feel like you're basically making that bet that he's going sixth, right? Because you don't need the fifth. You've already got a big number on him going fifth. So that that's saying he's going six at what's what's the number? Plus a hundred under six and a half. So you, it's an even. You're basically making an even money bet that he's going to go number six. Okay, that's a good point mathematically speaking. I had a direct message about that. Like, should I bet even more on under six and a half? You're saying essentially it's five or bust. Yeah, or if a six market opens up, great. And if he goes six, oh well. But it's just not a good bet, even money that he goes six. Okay, fair enough. Uh, let's talk about. You've already dropped, you know, four or five names here because you are just pouring through podcasts and columns and mock drafts. How important is it to study all of these different avenues when you make your positions on any draft? This market is driven solely by information. It's driven solely by narrative. There's no algorithm. There's no. The books absolutely have no advantage, and that's why we're seeing less opportunities um yes you figure out who you know who the reliable people are who covers the draft year-round for instance the onion does a great job not just kidding um the guys i mentioned sam vicini the athletic does a wonderful job rafael barlow does a wonderful job espn's jonathan gavoni he only gives out breadcrumbs but it's clear that he is so plugged in i mean espn covers the draft he is so plugged in he sends some stuff out i mean yes these guys are so plugged in. It was Gavoni and Schmitz a, a few weeks ago. The Trailblazers hired Schmitz as these, uh, their assistant GM. So there's not a big disconnect between the people who cover the draft on a year-round basis and the people who scout and make these decisions. They, they live in the same world, and you can trust the information. But you've done an exceptional job, and I'll tip you on the cap here. You've done an exceptional job at being able to decipher the breadcrumbs. The breadcrumbs are out there, but they don't give you the whole loaf. You're able to sort of decipher breadcrumbs. Does that make sense? It does, and it's true. And, you know, I was, as you know, I was a sports writer for 20 years. And, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the journalism background comes into play, understanding who and why to trust and, and what makes sense and what doesn't. That's the biggest thing. Does this make sense? And the other part of it, with I don't do this with football because it's hard, but with basketball, I actually do watch these guys. I'm not saying I'm not making any bets on this is who I think is better than who, but I think I have enough of a background in basketball to, to determine whether something it's another layer of does this make sense? This guy, Osmani Jang. Nobody listening has probably ever heard of this guy. I had never heard of him either, but he's listed, you know, he's in the mocks. So I watch him and I said, holy crap, this is exactly the kind of prospect that they talk about. He fits the profile to a T of the guys they talk about as an upside swing. He's now under thir under 13 and a half at big at a big minus. Um, I actually took him. I, I went against my own rule and played the top 10 market, but it opened at 10 to one. I think it's four and a half to one. Now that's not worth it. He could easily go nine, nine to uh San Antonio makes a lot of sense. They love foreign players. They love upside. They don't care about groupthink. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see at all see that guy go nine. But the reporting is that he has no chance of getting out of the lottery, and the lottery is 14. 
I think you spoiled our listeners because I think it was two years ago you told us Patrick Williams under. And then last year you told us to take Chris Duarte under 21 and a half. His market closed, what, 14 and a half or something like that. And still hit. You've given us Mac Jones under 17 and a half, closes three and a half. Where's the big faller or riser this year? You're slacking. <laughs> well, I did give you I did give you Mark Williams. Our listeners are like, why isn't he giving us guys that drop seven positions? Well, I think Jang is your guy. I might have to hold on. I might have to do, 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 do. It's a big number though. The thing about the big numbers in the drafts, and I've talked about this for a couple years now, you can lay one eighty in the draft because all of a sudden one eighty becomes minus five hundred or or right. Under 13.5 minus 180 by Thursday could be under 11.5 minus 150. So it's a weird it's a weird racket where, look, I'm not going to lay 180 on a baseball game when the Yankees are on the road in Tampa or Toronto. I don't want to lay 180 on a random baseball game. But if I get the right draft bet in some weird sure. way, like the Kyle Pitts shit. Remember, we were under Kyle Pitts. We're under five and a half minus one fifty. Oh, that's a lot of juice. He closed under four and a half minus a thousand. Here's one, if you don't mind laying a little number. Okay. Jeremy Soshan to be picked before Mark Williams. I see two hundred a points bet. Let me see what DraftKings has. I know it's it was a little less. You know, part of it for me, and I guess I turn away a lot from the big numbers on draft bets because I empty my bankroll for every draft mm -hmm. so i you know i've got a finite amount of money to work with and then i lose money in football and you know, i have to build it back up through the drafts so it's like do i really want to put this many resources on this bet where i could you know make more than minus 200 with this money so chan is a is a top 12 pick great defensive player one through one through five as they always say and then they say oh but he really is and they say that every time they say that too he's versatile defensively anyway and he's got good offensive skills. He's just not a good shooter. You know, they love these young guys. He could go as early as seven. So, Chan, yeah, minus 200 points bet. Yeah, let's see what I'm on DraftKings right minus now. Minus two and a quarter. At DraftKings it is? Mm -hmm. See, that just keeps creeping up. Might want to lay that 200. I'm going to promise the chicken dinner listeners a winner this week. You don't have to promise us anything. You've made us all so much fucking money in these drafts. You owe us nothing. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just busting balls here. All right, I want to I wanna let you out with this, um, this number one market because it's been sort of fascinating to follow. And as you know, many books have had the first overall pick up for months, and then they've sort of started to add appetizers to the main course. But this right. market, was it two weeks ago? Jabari Smith Jr. was minus five six dollars, and now he's back down to minus one sixty, minus one sixty five. I see minus one seventy. It's creeping back up. So, what ha this market is a great microcosm for how how the narrative drives everything. It was very little was known. Um, in fact, everybody knew that Jabari, Chet, and Paolo were the three top guys all season. My drunken eyes watching the NCAA tournament told me that Paulo is, and I watched plenty of Jabari and Chet too. My drunken eyes during the tournament was so impressed with Paulo. Yep, same here. To me, he's the best player. I told you to bet Paulo during that Carolina game. Um, that's not the way the NBA draft world looks at it. it. It was Woj said 
after the lottery, Woj said Orlando is focused on Jabari and Chet. Most people who are in this world had uh, Jabari, but it wasn't a consensus. There's like 13 to 15 mocks that make up this consensus mock that that's really valuable as a resource. And I think it was 11 had Jabari, four had Chet. The ones I respect more had Jabari. So I was leaning Jabari at that point. I didn't play it yet. I wanted more. I wanted something more. Then Gavoni wrote in an article, didn't even tweet it, no podcast, just kind of wrote in an article. Consensus around the league is that it's Jabari. They're still going to, Orlando is still going to do their work. No, no specific information has come out, but that's the consensus. And Gavoni also hinted that Jabari and Chet were aware and they were both happy that they would, where they were going at one and two, Oklahoma City being two. So that went on for a few weeks and the number just rose, as you said. It got all the way. I think FanDuel had Jabari at minus 600 at one point. Then, <laughs> it's so stupid. Last week, it's a red Jabari works out for Orlando. It's known he's going to work out for OKC. It's known that Orlando's doing his due diligence. OKC's doing his due diligence. So that's known. Somebody takes a picture of Jabari at the airport being picked up by Oklahoma City's GM, Sam Presti, coupled with a new piece of information that wasn't even new, saying Orlando hadn't decided yet. The odds plummeted. It became basically a pick between Jabari and Chet. It was like 120 and 110, even some places. So nothing has happened since then, except now Jabari's going all the way back up. I'm looking at 165 on points bet. FanDuel is minus 210. DraftKings is minus 175. It's fascinating. It's, it's truly fascinating how little happened for those numbers to move the way they've moved. What's a better bet? Jabari minus 170 to go first or Chet minus 150 to go second? Well, as a holder of a 9,500 ticket for Ivy to go second, I'm going to say Jabari. Oh, wow. 90 to 1? I gave it to you. I didn't bet it. Oh, it's not. I mean, I'd be very surprised. I wouldn't be 90 to 1 surprised. I'd be like 30 to 1 surprised. I feel like there, I, I would almost guarantee there is one team, at least one team, who's got Ivy ahead of Chet. So if there's one team, that's 30 to 1, right? So that I mean that that's there's no way nobody does. Ivy's awesome. Well, it's going to be a fascinating draft again. You know we appreciate all the information you give us. Uh, the bets we've made because of Mike Mark Williams over twelve and a half at minus one twenty five, minus one thirty, and then sharp over seven and a half, minus one twenty five, and a flyer on Benedict Matherin fifth overall at ten to one. Mike got twenty to one, but that's because he's better than me. And he beats these markets, and he does this extremely well. Um, last thing, how pissed are some of your pro contacts here that they just can't get down? It is extremely frustrating, and I, I feel their pain because it <laughs> certainly benefits me to work with these people. Well, if you want to get down $27, come on down. But if you want to bet 500 <laughs> forget it. Literally, that's what it is. It's $28. they are they are allowed to bet $28. <laughs> That's the coach, Mike Helfgott, at M. Helfgott. Uh, you've been on this program more than almost anybody now. We need to get you uh, another bottle of booze. I might have to send it your way after the draft, all right? Waiting on that red jacket, too. Uh, the jacket? I don't know your size, though. I need the size. <laughs> My size is big time. All right. Thanks, Mike. All right, Sammy. That about does it for Chicken Dinner. Thanks to the coach, Mike Helfgott, for hopping on the show. We've got draft plays for you. Let me rip them one more time. Smith, number one, minus 140. Bancaro, number one, plus 300. That's from April. 
And then four more. Matherin, fifth overall, 10 to 1. Sharp over 7.5. Mark Williams over 12.5. And, and the last play, Jang under 13.5. Coming up on the show, Will Hill will join us, host of the New York City cast and a contributor to V Sin. Hope we make some money here. And if Matherin goes fifth to the Pistons, it's going to be a great Thursday night. Cash of tickets, make some money. We'll talk to you next time, right here on Chicken Dinner. Broken.